I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The May edition of History Today features an article by Nigel Richardson which looks at approaches towards the Maya in history. Can you, uh, when we're talking about Maya civilization, um, where exactly is that based? We know it's Central America, but what part of, of Central America are we talking about now? Well, I guess we're talking about what used to be known as Mesoamerica, which um, is the, geographically it's Central America, but it's the civilizations that existed um, in pre-Columbian times in Mexico, principally, but also in Guatemala, um, Honduras, um, Belize, and uh, El Salvador, places like that. And what were the classic? What was the classic periods of this civilization? When did it reach its height? What were its origins? I guess the classic it? period was probably AD 300 to 900. Uh, so a city such as Palenque, for example, that was when it reached its height, and that, I think that's what's generally regarded as the kind of high point of Mayan civilization. And this includes the building of great cities, great temples, and to the to the uninitiated, it looks a little bit like uh, Aztec. Uh, culture um it does um it's it I, I was actually interested i mean i have been to these uh these sites extraordinary places what interested me when i got there was to discover that uh, there were actually li- literally connections with the aztecs in terms of trade and so on which i hadn't realized but they're quite distinct geographically they're quite they're, they're really quite a long way away mm-hmm. um and uh they kind of their height was kind of before the Aztecs, the, 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 the kind of points in history when they were the most, most powerful. Um, but nevertheless, there were those connections. And when were the first encounters? I presume the first encounters uh, with Westerners came uh, immediately after the conquest, the Spanish conquest. Of the... Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the, uh, I mean, this is what was, uh, again, another thing I found really interesting was that um, the, the, the Spanish conquest, which course was in uh, sort of from from um, in, in the 15 uh, 1500s early 1500s um, the soldiers of the Spanish conquest and indeed the priests who were, who were kind of spreading religion as a way of also converting and controlling the people they were very familiar with with, with the work of the Maya and indeed recorded it and uh, um, quite extensively um, but 
after that, there was a kind of dark age when people had no idea of, of, of what these places were and who created them. And in fact, they, no. the, the original encounters, they had some pretty bizarre theories about where the mire had come from. Yeah, that's right. Well, these... The kind of general feeling after after the Spanish conquest, and, we, and then we're talking in Europe in the kind of I suppose the the, the, the 17th century um, and onwards was, uh, and these were theories propounded by people who'd never been there. Uh, remember, but the, the general idea was that these people, the indigenous people, were so uh, savage and primitive and so on that they could not possibly be possibly have been responsible for these extraordinary cities and temples. And so on, and and therefore, they must have been the work of, for example, Egyptians. Everyone was, you know, by that stage, people were beginning to be familiar with the, with Pharaonic Egypt, with the Egyptians, or the Phoenicians, or the Carthaginians, or the Greeks, or um, even the Welsh. I think people um, kind of felt that the Welsh might have been had a, had a say in that for some in some way or another. Um, but but the one thing they didn't acknowledge was that it could possibly have been the indigenous people. And so you get a slightly more sophisticated approach on this from around about the late 18th century. Uh, one of the people you mention is Captain Antonio del Rio. And from, from there on, we have a slightly more sophisticated attempt to understand these cultures. Yeah, although, you see, again, that's very interesting because uh, del Rio, who was, who was um, actually carrying out the um, uh, research into this uh, beautiful city called Palenque, for the Spanish crown, um, he, he went out, he was there in 1787, um, but the report that he, he wrote was not published until 1822, so there was still a gap, there was still these kind of gaps of knowledge, but his, his report, um, which came about because there were so many um, travellers in the 18th century who were being, being regaled with tales of this fantastic city, his report was possibly the first to to um, uh, have a certain amount of accuracy and to give um, kind of credence to the notion that um, that uh, these people, um, these cities, may possibly have been built by um, uh, people who lived there. The indigenous population. Yeah. Um, we've got some extraordinary images um, in history today of the city Palenque, which becomes very much the focus of the really serious research that takes place from the 19th century, mid-19th century, I suppose, onwards. And we have people like John Lloyd Stevens, who's quite an extraordinary character, an American lawyer. I think Stevens is the, is the key to all this. It's the beginning, it sort of represents the beginning of modern scholarship, really, um, because he'd, he'd uh, been in Egypt and the Holy Land before he went to um, Central America. Um, he took with him... Um, a draftsman, an artist called Frederick Catherwood, who was English. And they, between them, actually were the first people to uh, look upon these cities with a certain amount of, uh, um, sort of scientific background and, and scholarship and wrote about what they saw rather than what they wanted to see or expected to see. Um, so it's very much and, a kind of post-enlightenment uh, perspective here. Yeah, indeed, yeah. And um, so they, they wrote, um, or Stevens wrote a book called Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chapas and Yucatan, published in 1841. And I think that kind of represents the beginning of um, the modern study of the Maya. And the images they produced are really quite extraordinary as well, aren't they? Yeah, uh, Castlewood, um, yeah, they, they were excellent, yeah. And, uh, and the other thing that people um, 
perhaps don't appreciate these days is, is just how intrepid they were because uh, um, these places that they were visiting were, were in many cases uncharted, um, very difficult to terrain, didn't know what they were going to encounter. Um, no roads, no paths uh, in many cases. And uh, so the, the achievement in actually even getting there was extraordinary, uh, let alone once there um, applying um, kind of um, a certain amount of you know, scientific study and thought to what they were seeing. So um, all in all, really, you know, great achievements. Really, because they, what, they what must still be relatively them. difficult places to reach even now. Well, the, well they are actually. I mean, <laughs> I've been to them and they're pretty... Uh, they do feel pretty remote, especially this place called Yakshiran, and the only way to get there is along the use of the River, which is, forms the border between Mexico and Guatemala, and you, you really do feel that you're going somewhere that no one's been before. Um, uh, and in fact, there's quite a, there's a funny tale attached to that, because um, uh, there was a... a, a after Stevens and, uh, and Catherwood, there were all sorts of um, Europeans that kind of almost jumped on the bandwagon. Some of them were were glory seekers, really. They wanted to be known as the first person to have um, discovered a place and sort of immortalised their names in that way. Uh, and there was a, there was a, uh, I think he was French, a guy called Charnay. Um, he, he went to, uh, he went to a place called, this place Yachiman, which is only um, um, accessible by river, um, in uh, 1882. Really thought he'd been, he was going to be the first person there. And, and when he got there, he found out that this uh, Englishman had already taken up residence in the ruins. And this is a guy called Paul Maudsley, Alfred Percival Maudsley, um, who's a uh, former, former diplomat. And, and he's he a very significant figure. The kind of, he came after Stevens and Catherwood, but again, he did some great work. And, um, um, and his name deserves to be remembered uh, in, in the same breath as Stevens and Catherwood. And he was very much a serious archaeologist as well, wasn't he, Maudsley? Indeed, yes, he was, yes. Yeah, yeah, he did a lot, he did a lot of extraordinary work. I think he was he made several visits, uh, um, six or seven times. I think he went out and and, and worked in all, all the great sites in Yakshiland, which I've mentioned, but Chichen Itza, which is a very famous site in Yucatan, and of course Palenque that we've already talked about. And the investigations into Mayan culture are very very much still ongoing, aren't they? Well, I, I think the, the amazing thing. Um, that I discovered was that in the 20th century they've continued um, and um, I have a sort of personal connection but just by chance before I was going out to Mexico I ran into someone at a party who turned out to be the daughter um, of a chap called Giles Healy and Healy uh, in 1946 discovered a mine site called Bonampak um, which is again in, it's in Chapas but near the border of Guatemala um, uh, and that's remarkable for the fact that it has these extraordinary murals in a small temple. And uh, these murals, um, the like of which had not been seen before, changed um, uh, the academic view of the Maya. Um, they were particularly bloodthirsty, and it made people rethink the, um, the whole idea of the Maya, which um, up to that point they'd been regarded as a reasonably peaceable people. But... Um, the, the mural showed another side to them. And for that reason, Bonampak is a very famous site. And it Bonham... wasn't discovered until, well, discovered, by discovered, we mean discovered by Westerners. Mm -hmm. wasn't discovered until uh, 1946. And, and these discoveries are ongoing, as you say. And Bonampak, the, these remarkable murals that you talk about, have actually been reproduced in, in the National Museum of anthropology in Mexico City. That's absolutely correct. They've, they've recreated the temple in, in, in the museum, and this is one of the highlights of the museum. Um, the colours, of course, when you go to the real thing on, on, on site, the colours are faded and are, are damaged. And, uh, um, I mean, 
there's no, there's no substitute for the real thing. But um, in, in the archaeological museum in Mexico City, the, the, there is this recreation, and it, it does give you a sense of how they how they must have looked when they'd first been done, and they are absolutely extraordinary. And of course, we had an encounter, um, indeed w- w- one that went viral, uh, very much a global encounter with Mayan civilization, when there was talk of the Mayan ca- calendar and the apocalypse uh, at the end of last year. Um, but this yeah, was indeed, actually based uh, the, on the, the, long count, the Mayan long count, the way that they had of, um, of, of counting time, almost of controlling time. They had a very extraordinary attitude to time. Um, but uh, as we know, this was, this was a cycle of time. It wasn't the end of time. And of course, I think people jumped on the bandwagon a bit uh, over that. And uh, certainly the tourist authorities are pretty pleased about it because um, they had a lot of extra visitors last year. But um, uh, there's no question that they are they are remarkable places and... With one or two exceptions, Chichen Itza does get a lot of people, but the other sites don't really get that many visitors. And you can have them to yourself, and you can it's, it's, you can you get near to the feeling that these people must have had people like Stevens and Castlewood and Maudsley when they were um, there 150 years ago. Well, it's an extraordinary story, and I think it's one that's still little known. This long encounter with the mine, as well as mine civilization itself, um, we've got some great images of both Palenque, the city. The illustrations, Catherwood's illustrations, as well as um, the murals. And uh, so thank you for that, Nigel. It's a terrific read, and it's in the May edition of History Today. Thank you. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.